0: You're listening to Rosie on the House. Our right, 8 o'clock hour, we invite you all to come all around back and join our outdoor living hour where we talk all kinds of different things, outdoor in particular this week. We've got Jay Harper in. If you've got a question about your garden, trees, bushes, shrubs, whatever the case may be, anything you plant, grow or don't want to grow outdoors, you can <laughs> jump on the line and talk to Jay at one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you In this hour, I think it's going to take up a pretty heavy turf team. We've got Brian Johnson, the athletic director from ASU. He's joined us uh, in our 7 o'clock hour talking about getting the ASU field ready for the last 34 years for uh, Saturday football. I thought, you know, this would probably be a pretty good time to, to, to talk turf. You've got a natural grass, Bermuda 419, I know, <laughs> I learned that last hour, <laughs> the actual breed that you grow on uh, on ASU Stadium, and he's going to join us this hour talking turf. What uh, We're not quite to the point yet we're transitioning for Bermuda to arrive. We've got a few more months of Bermuda, or weeks maybe.
1: W- weeks, yeah, not months. Um, a lot of golf courses have, have started uh, the process of overseeding already. Which they kind of have to, from an economic standpoint. We've talked about that before. They, they always go a lot earlier than we would ever recommend a homeowner to do it, um, just because of the size and the scope that they have to. And and now all of a sudden the weather's really nice. People are going to want to play golf, and uh, they can't afford to lose that revenue in the first week or two of October when, yeah, you all know, everybody's clamoring to get back out there on the golf course. They want to be ready for that.
0: And so how do you manage it in a football stadium where you got to play every Saturday? Do you just have to wait for those
2: away games and plan it just right? We do. Uh, We actually have started, uh, after our game on uh, September 7th, we put out rye seed after that game. And we're going to put out more rye seed tonight. So, uh, again, we're kind of like a golf course uh, where we have... Breaks and windows, and it's the calendar is really not ready for ryegrass. But we have a break, and we got to take advantage of that. So, uh, I've I've always been known as one to uh, get an early jump on on rye seed on the field, and and during a football season, it, it, it's it's a very tricky situation where you can't do a traditional scalping of a field. You know we we don't have time to recover from that. So we just let the Bermuda keep growing. But we'll poke holes in the field uh, with the machine after after the game, and hopefully that seed kind of gets down into a hole and, and stays moist. And that way we don't really have to scalp the Bermuda grass, and we can get some rye uh, established in that Bermuda grass.
1: You know, and that's a good point because, you know, the, the, the new thinking is – to not scalp real hard anyway, you know, like we did when we were growing, you took it down to the dirt. I mean, it was like dirt when you were done and then you seeded. And, uh, now it's, you know, it's more acceptable to just mow it short enough that you can get the seed down through the canopy of the grass and make contact with the soil. And, uh, we, we also used to have that opportunity and a lot of people dethatched and they're kind of telling people to probably not, that's probably not a good practice to do in the fall. That should wait till your spring summer, you know, so the Bermuda can recover after you've dethatched. So, you know, obviously there's a great example of not scalping hard and having a a successful ryegrass lawn. You can do the same thing at at your home is not, not, you know, not, you want to start mowing it shorter. What I would recommend people do is take the next couple weeks and start lowering your mowing height so that you're not stuck with, you know, 16 bags of grass clippings and, and all of that at one time, you know, and, and ease into it. And then you'll be ready to, to seed it.
0: one That's one triple eight rosie for you. If you'd like to join the conversation or ask a landscape, plant, garden question, in our Uh, transition time you've got rye and bermuda at the same time how long does that take uh, if it was undisturbed you plant your rye you stay off of it your lawn how long does that take for the rye to come up and get a good coverage well
2: three and a half days after that seed we put out after our uh, second football game i had quarter inch long green hairs coming out of that seed so now it's warm and I'm running a lot of water. So it's like ideal conditions to germinate the seed, but then it's probably a little bit warm for that, uh, ryegrass to thrive. But, uh, I, I have the ability to buy, uh, fungicide treated seeds. So that kind of helps, uh, prevent it from disease that can happen when you're, uh, trying to establish it in warm weather. So, um, but when a homeowner would typically seed in the middle of October, uh, depending on the weather, you're looking at a week and a half, two weeks.
1: Yeah, I, usually if you if you do it by October 15th, which has always been the magic day for me for homeowners, so just if you want to pick a day, 15th October, you should you should have a, a lawn that's been mowed and trick or treaters can walk across it on Halloween night. So you know, two d- two weeks, it's it's up and probably had its first mowing.
0: I've seen a lot of commercials in recent years on seed technology, and you know you see them. They've got the blue coat that goes over the seed. And uh, have you experimented with any of any of that?
2: Well, I, I'm very I'm very happy with the seed product that we get. Uh, um, it's uh, the company up in Oregon that we work with as seed research and uh, and. Uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate to make a couple trips up there, and that's just a fascinating uh, process that goes on up there in Oregon, growing all the the, the rye seed. And I, I learned so much on those trips, and uh, um, you know, the breeding that goes on, and and rye grasses these days are just so heat tolerant, so drought tolerant, so much stronger than the rye grasses that uh, I started using when I first started out. So it's it's really it's really kind of fascinating. Uh, uh, I, I think it's a fascinating subject. I just, I just love those trips to Oregon and, and just see that whole process that's going on up there.
1: You know, many, many, many years ago when I first got in the business, so this would have been in the, you know, 70s, we, and, and perennial blended ryegrasses were, were kind of a luxury. You know, most people used annual ryegrass if they did any overseeding at all. And uh, Northrop King had a seed called medallist and it was coated. So way back then they were doing coated seed, you know, so, it, and, and it's now kind of come full circle that, you know, they're doing that. So it's but that's been going on a while, but, uh, but that was, you know, very few people could afford metalists. You know, it was just, you know, I think we sold two bags a year or something like that. <laughs> you know, it was a luxury to, to buy that. And as opposed to everybody bought the Cheap old annual ryegrass seed, which nobody buys anymore, hardly. Um, you know, it's hard to mow and wet and thick and gooey but, and stains everything. So good, buy a good perennial blend, a, a blend of perennial ryegrass seed, and, and you should have good success. There's lots of them out there, and they're all pretty good from a homeowner's standpoint. What kind of
0: coverage do I need? If I've got, you know, how many pounds per 100 square feet of seed do I need for a good, thick, green rye?
1: Well, I'm sure it varies. You know, I know golf courses do a different rate. A homeowner probably, you know, a pound, a pound and a half. So about 10 to 15 pounds per thousand square feet has always been, you know, very adequate. Um, You can go heavier than that. But if you go too heavy, then you can get into some of the disease problems.
2: Yeah, we we put out 15 pounds per thousand after that first game. But it's it's a different situation where um, I'm not getting a hundred percent of that seed germinated there's some that's sitting on the surface that i'm picking up with my mower Uh, there's some that's getting damaged by the next football game before it really has a chance to take root so uh, that's why we keep kind of spoon feeding that rye after every game so um, the exact percentage of germination at the end of the year it's really hard to calculate that that's uh, that's one of the problems with overseeding during a season Well, I think we've
0: got a a first-of-a-kind caller on the line, if I understand the screen right. We've got Gene and El Mirage, and he needs tips for his Little League field. (laughs) Oh, cool. Gene, welcome to the broadcast.
2: Hi. Good good morning, everyone. This is Gene Felker. Um, I'm with El Mirage Little League, and we I'm just seeking some tips, maybe from Brian. Um, uh, We're going to overseed, and I'm not quite sure where to get some good seed, and if if he had uh, any methods on helping round up some volunteers um, with his years of experience, getting getting these kids to help, if he has any tips to uh, help getting our field ready now for springtime. Well, how old are these little leaguers? Uh, uh, from eight to twelve. Well, you got a good volunteer base right there. <laughs> that sounds like you got a lot of uh, yeah. When I was eight, eight to twelve, I would have been happy to work on the fields. I, uh, that's just me, but. Uh, that's an interesting question, Gene. Uh, uh, you know, we we get our we get our seed at, uh from Ewing Irrigation. They have a a lot of different varieties, a lot of different, uh, uh, a lot of different uh, like a stuff that's for a homeowner, uh, all the way to the professionals. So. Um, you had mentioned Ewing as a supplier.
0: Uh, is that where you get your seed as yeah.
2: well? Yeah, they, they they have an agreement with uh, with seed research up in up in Oregon, and and uh, so you know we buy a higher end seed from them, but uh, they also sell uh, seed that's a little bit cheaper that that a homeowner would be very happy with.
0: And they've got a location on Bell just. East of Grand is pretty close to El Mirage. Yeah,
2: yeah. They have a location just a mile from my stadium where I do most of my business. But, uh, yeah, you know, Little League fields are kind of – it's it's nice that people like yourself want the fields to uh, to look nice at, at, at for kids at a young age. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I really enjoy the fact that uh, whether it's parents or little league coaches or high school coaches, it seems like people these days are are uh, want want their kids to play on the best fields possible.
1: Well, big difference than when we were playing. I mean, it was. (laughs) When you talk about differences. I mean, there wasn't, they didn't overseed. There was, you know, you got what you got flood irrigation every two weeks. And by the end of the season, you were playing on dirt and. Hopefully you got most of the rocks up.
0: Vaughn yeah. Payne from East Valley Floors texted and he said, you know, hearing this conversation made me think about my high school football days. Said October the fields virtually had no grass, but the worst was playing in St. John's. They converted the rodeo arena to a football field with about four inches of snow that they didn't even clear. They just painted on top of the snow red stripes for your boundaries.
2: <laughs> that sounds pretty that sounds pretty rough. Yeah, that's pretty rough. A little, <laughs> little <laughs> different.
1: It's home field advantage
0: on this saturday morning uh, during our outdoor living hour we have jay harper master gardener all around jack of all trades when it we've got tree questions on the line we've got hibiscus questions on the line we've got lawn questions on the line and we're joined by the athletic field manager of ASU, Brian Johnson, as well. Had a fun hour talking about uh, what it what it takes to get the ASU stadium ready for game day and all the different adventures that that job's taken you. Uh, Join us to talk turf this hour as well. Uh, let's get right to him. We have Ryan and Anthem next on the line at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you, Ryan. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How can we help you?
2: Well, I bought some five-gallon hibiscus uh, plants, and I'm worried they're not going to survive. I put them in a raised garden, and I'm not quite sure how much I should water them because after just two days, some of the leaves started yellowing, dropping, the flowers really aren't opening, and I'm curious if that's just part of it transitioning out of the pot into where I planted it or if I'm giving it too little, too much water.
1: Well, you know, the thing with any plant, and, and hibiscus probably especially, is they, they were probably raised in a greenhouse. Um, depending on how long they'd been sitting in the nursery, it might not have been that well acclimated. You planted a couple of days ago, so it's cooling off, uh, and the temperatures are going to start helping you now. But you're, you you shouldn't uh, worry too much about a, a yellow leaf here and there on hibiscus. Just make sure you don't overwater it. Give it a good, good watering. The, you know As you're planting it, uh, even run the water kind of as you're filling the hole in. The water will help settle the, the soil uh, as it's filling in. And then you know keep it pretty wet that first day or two. I don't think you could overwater it. But now that it's been in a couple of days, you want to start let it gradually drying out. Uh, Not to the point that the hibiscus is wilting, but, but, you know, maybe a couple of days and then water it and then maybe go three or four days and then water it. But when you do water it, make sure you give it a good enough watering that you're getting the water all the way down past the the root ball. So not just a couple of minutes or not just spritzing it, you know, out there, just squirting it like you're hosing the sidewalk off. Let the hose run good or the drippers or however you're watering it. Run long enough that you give it a good soaking. Um, it's not uncommon for flowers to that are buds that are on there to to uh, fall off or not open up as new planting. And of course, hibiscus flowers only last a day or two anyway. Um, so that's I I wouldn't be too concerned.
0: We appreciate the call one All lines are full as we take a call. Uh, it's a good opportunity for you to get on the line. We're going to skip Char. The radio is on in the background. Let's go to Mark. We'll come back to you, Char. Don't worry. Uh, Mark and Mason wants to talk about replacing a, a Santa Ana lawn. Do I, do I have that right, Mark?
1: Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a 28-year-old Santa Ana
2: lawn that I've just, Been thinking about getting rid of and putting in a
1: different type of Bermuda. Um, One question is Am I crazy? And two, if not, what would be the best process?
2: Are you happy with your lawn? Uh, Like, is there something particular with the uh, Santa Ana that you don't like?
1: You know, I liked it in the beginning, but now I'm having trouble. It's getting a little bit patchy. It seems to really
2: accumulate thatch, and I, I have my sprinkler system all set really
1: well, and I thatch it, I have aerated, but the lawn just seems like it's running its course. Well, you know, that was that. You know, when Santa Ana first came out, I'm going to say in the early '80s, maybe it. it it's probably the prettiest green I think of all of the Bermudas It's a beautiful grass, but it is very thatchy, very thick, grows very fast. It was, we had a lot of trouble with it. People not being able to mow it frequently enough and you'd get that brown scalding or, you know, uh, burning cause you'd mow it too short every time you mowed it. Cause it had grown too much. It had grown too much and it did develop a lot of thatch, but, um, It it's uh, it's your call. I think you know. I mean, twenty eight years is is pretty good value (laughs) out of something. So um, I think there are better uh, hybrids out there than Santa Ann anymore. I don't even know if Santa Ann is available anymore. But uh,
0: how would you transition Bermuda when people call and say I want to get rid of my Bermuda grass? You know, it seems like it's a very labor-intensive process to get that root structure out? Could you just put a different Bermuda in and hope it takes over? Would he have to do a
2: complete kill-off and then reseed? Yeah, you'd probably have to spray that uh, and then sod-cut it out and then uh, put a new variety in. And, and, and there are other varieties for a homeowner, uh, mid-iron, uh, or they call it easy turf, that uh, don't require as much mowing and, and you can— cut them very easily with a rotary mower that most homeowners have um it's 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 a lot of work so uh but if you want to enjoy your lawn uh maybe it's time for a switch
0: now i've got a curious question you take care of how many square feet is a football field 100 yards by 100 two acres two acres mm-hmm. how much lawns at your home
2: I, I don't have any grass. There, so.
0: <laughs> Busted.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I leave it. Leave it at work. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Really good.
1: Little Marsha Tucker. I love it. All right.
3: That'll put a tap in your toe, won't it?
1: Absolutely. Oh, man. we
3: well, you know what? Two acres of grass at the ASU Stadium that Brian takes care of. And I've got the old Santa Ana tip that y'all were just talking about. And if if I just give it Turf Royale once a month, it's the happiest grass in the neighborhood. Uh, but you got to be you gotta feed it, yep. But my my bane right now, one is a puppy. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, the new puppy has come very very close to being set out for adoption because <laughs> uh, he only digs in the area that's the nicest lawn. Mm-hmm. I got sure. I got a half acre back there, but it's like this one spot. But Spurge, I mean, every time you see a bird fly over ASU football field. You must just want to cry.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I try to teach them to fly upside down when they pass the stadium. (laughs) uh, Yeah. That's good. It is is a very uh, tough weed. Uh, You know, uh, we are pretty lucky that we don't have too much of a weed problem in the stadium itself. Uh, If we do see something, it'll be a screwdriver and on my hands and knees pulling it out. Um, But... Um, some of our other fields, our older fields that we have, uh, we do have weeds, Spurge included, and, uh, you know, we've had luck with a product called uh, Speed Zone, and uh, uh, the key with that is you want to spray that uh In July and August, when it's humid, monsoon season, because that chemical that kills the spurge will also kind of ding or set back your Bermuda grass a little bit. So you want to make sure you're applying it when that Bermuda grass is at its healthiest and and can kind of bounce back from that spraying. But you have to be vigilant with that spurge. You have to, uh, you know, two or three applications, and it might be over a couple of years before you finally get it under control. Man, I've tried everything. I I pre-emerge
3: it that thing to death in February and March. And, John, you'll be very proud to hear. I've even taken my flamethrower. Where the spurge is growing in the yard, I don't mow it, of course. And I let it get a little long. It, it does react to fire. I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it has so but much it, seed on it. That's, the, oh, you know, it's just, it's just full. That's why you see the birds out there uh, after it so badly. It's just full of seed, and that's... If, so even if you're pulling it you need to be careful. Uh, I used to tell people to get a garbage bag over there and put it right in the garbage bag. Don't try and carry it across oh, the lawn and man. and mowing it's probably not a good idea. That's going to that could spread seed. So uh, pre-emergence will will eliminate a lot of it, but it's hard to get it all. You got to stay on it. <laughs>
0: Let's get to the next caller at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you'd like to join the conversation, talk to Jay Harper of the Farms Choice or Brian Johnson, the field manager at ASU Stadium, about turf management. You can do that one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. We're going to bring in Rich from Queen Creek this morning.
2: Well, hi there. I've got a question about mulch. Just what is in it and uh, the reason for that question is that I have unlimited amounts of dairy manure, uh, sawdust, and grass clippings. Can, can I make my own mulch?
1: Well, when you're talking about mulch, we, we often confuse mulch with compost. And mulch is simply something that we put on top of the ground around trees and shrubs and in flower beds. To hold moisture down, uh, to to keep the plants moist, it can be decorative. You can use it as a decorative device. Um, it can it can inhibit weeds. It's a really good tool for inhibiting weeds, and mulch can be anything. Uh, you know, it can be technically it can be gravel, it can be mulch. I don't recommend it. Uh, shredded newspaper. Um, so yes, any of your your Cow manures, horse manure, sawdust, any of those products can be put on top of the ground as a mulch. Now, if we're going to talk about compost, which you're going to till into the ground, incorporate into the soil before planting in a garden or uh, to use as a as a planting soil amendment, um, then it has to be composted. And you would want to take your cow manure and sawdust and grass clippings and start a pile somewhere or have a container that you can put it in and let the natural composting process break that stuff down, get the ammonia out of it and, and get it, you know, so that it can then be used into a, in the soil without robbing the soil. What will happen if you take raw manures or any raw organic material and you just incorporate it in the soil? when it starts decomposing or composting, which it's going to do no matter what you do, if it's down in the ground, the microorganisms that that nature uses to break that material down need nitrogen. And so you're robbing your soil of nitrogen to break those down. Plus, you can get some problems with, with the process of breaking it down with heat. Compost can get very hot. In fact, one of the ways that we create compost is it needs to reach a temperature of 135 degrees and stay that way for a couple of weeks and then be turned a few times. So mulch or compost depends on what you're really doing with that material as to what how you need to handle it.
0: And I'm curious, Rich, you said you have okay, an endless supply. Do you manage a dairy?
1: Uh, no, I just live in the area and I I guess maybe the term I should have used is potting soil I, that's okay well start. Pot, making a soil or a compost would be the same thing you've got to compost that stuff first it, you you want to you want to set it up in an area where you got some space and you can mix some uh you know those products together and turn it and use some water to to get that process activated and started and get it up to temperature and then turn it and get it up to temperature and turn it until it won't get up to temperature anymore you'll know when you've you've created a, a soil or a compost with it the fact that you can't get it to spike up in temperature anymore it's then it's done breaking down um get a you can get a a soil thermometer a, you know a type of a device to stick in that thing or you could stick your hand in there tell it's hot uh or throwing off heat or sometimes they'll even catch on fire <laughs> if uh If you're not careful, but uh, you you definitely, if you're going to make a, and then if you're going to make a potting soil out of it, you'd probably want to then blend with this composted material. When you're all done, you would want to maybe take some, get some peat moss uh, and maybe a little bit of the perlite, that white uh, material you'll see in a, in a commercial potting soil that helps uh, improve the drainage and kind of blend all that together to make a really good potting soil.
0: And I think the name of the company is Western Organics. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't remember, but yep. it's a, a group of dairy farms. Oh, kind it's of diversified of organics. Diversified organics. Okay, mm-hmm. and they that might be worth a call to them. Uh, their field is right off the side of one of the roads. It's somewhere like it's ninety
1: first Avenue down by the river bottom.
0: And it's these three dairies, and they take all their dairy manure, and they've got these big rows, and they have this complete uh, process. And you can see all the little thermometers out mm-hmm. there. Like you said, fire sometimes. You see a pile smoking. That might be worth a trip out to there and see what uh, what they could show you.
1: Yeah. I, you know, Darren Keener is a gentleman's name that runs that. Um, I don't know if he'd share his, his trade secrets <laughs> with you or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who knows? But... Could at least see how, how somebody does it professionally, right?
1: Uh, There's a bit more to it than than if you're just talking about mulching and throwing it on top of the top of the ground. So,
0: I had a texter wanted to know when should bird of paradise be cut back.
1: I would assume they're talking about the Mexican type bird of paradise or red birds. Um, you know, winter time, same time we do roses, December, January, early February. Right now they're beautiful. You certainly don't want to cut them back now.
0: You can text questions to four one one nine two three. You can also send an email if you need help with picture or plant. If you need a picture to help with plant or insect identification, and then the call a number one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. We tried to take Shaw earlier and uh, she couldn't hold on any longer, but wanted to plant a fight. I'm sorry, a sisu tree, and she's got people trying to talk her out of that. <laughs> the The pros and cons of sisu.
1: Well, you know they they have uh, they have a well, not a reputation. it's a deserved uh, <laughs> notoriety the, of sending up root shoots, root suckers um, it it would depend on where it's being planted. Um, if it's in a grassy area where it's going to get a lot of water uh, that that can be troublesome and but we tend to have more problems with those trees when you cut them down. when you decide people panic, they hear about this awful tree that's going to do all these awful things. Um, well, if it's not doing it already, that it, it may not. Um, but once you go to cut it down, then you got to get on top of it. They have this survival mechanism, I, it, for lack of a better th- whatever to call it. But what, <clears throat> once you cut that tree off, then it's just every root. It just every root starts wanting to grow a shoot of a tree. Um, there's some things you can do to control that. Um, but, uh, if you, you know, plant- it, so it, it, that's a classic tree that you want to make sure the place you're putting it is where you want it to be because you never want to try and cut, you never want to cut it down because you got it too close to something or whatever. And they get big. So they do get right.
0: big. My neighbor planted about, I'm going to say 20 of them. Um, I'm trying to remember it's, it's been 14 or 15 years now, but I tell you what, summertime, you know he's got a row of them uh, that just provide this incredible shade canopy right next to his workshop, and he's got a couple more around his backyard. I mean it 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 creates a great shade canopy. It's a good tree if it's in the right place. Yeah,
1: it, it's. I'm not as quick to maybe just freak out when people say sisu as some folks, but you know there's a there's a place for them. I think you know a, a, you know where you have a lot of property. Uh, you know, if you're planting it and maybe it's right next, you know, in a typical subdivision and you're right on top of each other in a side yard of a house, maybe that's not the best spot for it. <laughs>
0: or close to the foundation of a home. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you don't want those roots coming up underneath your, your slab. Uh, another text question What's the best time to plant Chinese elm? I mean, you, this is your favorite time to plant. Uh,
1: fall is the best time to plant almost anything, <laughs> 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 and, and especially trees.
0: Anything um, but Bermuda grass.
1: <laughs> true. And as we get later into the fall, we want to watch planting, you know, sensitive, cold-sensitive material like the gentleman before hibiscus. Early fall is a great time to plant hibiscus. You know, you got up until about Halloween. But once we get later in the fall, you want to watch, you know, things that aren't as cold-hardy. But right now, even cold-sensitive things, hibiscus, bougainvillea, all those things, you know, the the soil is like this little incubator right now. It's going to stay warmer Then the air, the air is going to cool, which is going to be great for the plant's transpiration. It's not going to lose as much moisture, but the roots are going to sit there in that warm soil and start to root in. And the plant will be established come next spring when the air temperatures warm up and you just get this explosion of of growth. It's literally like gaining a whole year's planting time if you plant in the fall. So uh, you can't go wrong planting a Chinese elm and you can't go wrong planting it right now.
0: Final segment coming up We've got Mike and Gilbert Who wants help with the roses We'll see how we can help him Right after this All right, We're going to go out to Gilbert next Bring Mike into the conversation Who's looking for a little help With his roses Good morning Micah
1: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm out in uh, Morrison Ranch, and we've got some pretty strict HOA guidelines, and I've got four rose bushes in the front yard that just look awful every year. They look like Charlie Brown trees. I was wondering if you could <laughs> give a little bit of
2: advice on helping these guys grow.
1: Well, roses are going to look pretty tough about this time of year. That's just normal. But now is the time. In fact, I'm going to do that this exact thing this weekend with my roses. Is you give them a little little haircut, get rid of some of that burn up yellow looking foliage, so a, a light trimming or grooming, I would call it, and and give them a good fertilization, and with these nights cooling off and, and uh, the weather starting to get cooler, they're going to perk right back up. So uh, it's just it's just having roses if they're on your case about them not looking good. Yeah, I'll tell them to get a life. <laughs> 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 one thing that will help you on roses, we talked about mulch before. Uh, putting a good layer of shredded bark mulch around your roses before summer sets in is, is a one good way to kind of cool their roots down. We'll help them survive that summer a little bit. But even then, they're just not going to look their best, you know, at the end of summer.
0: We appreciate the call. Let's go to Roland and see how we can help him on a citrus question.
1: Good morning, Roland. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I got, had this lemon tree. Start in the spring. It looked really good, growing like a weed, just like the other citrus we've got. It was three years old. And then one branch, just almost overnight, all the leaves died. Hmm. And then the, the branch itself. Eventually died, so I cut it off, and then another branch died. And it's till half the tree was dead, gone, and then a week ago, all the other uh, leaves on the tree died. So uh-huh. I'm going to replace it, but do I need to get the dirt out that I have it planted in, too? I don't know why it died. Yeah, lemons, you know, it, it, it's not an uncommon thing with lemons, and, and they can, you know, depending on what the lemon was grafted on, a lot of the old lemon rootstock is, is a lemon, rough lemon rootstock, which can be susceptible to quick decline and some other diseases uh, in citrus, and that's kind of the way it acts. Also, maybe it could have been root rot. Root rot will kill a tree like that kind of one limb at a time, and, and the limb just dies very rapidly. Um, but yeah, it's probably nothing you can do to, you, you know, you, you certainly want to get the whole stump out and then you'll have a big hole there anyway. When you go to plant the new citrus tree, you'll, you know, use some good composted mulch, um, mixed in with your native soil. I would recommend, uh, getting the hole dug and fill it full of water and see how long it takes for that water to percolate, to, to get out of the hole. If it sits there for a long time, like all day or more than a day, then you've got a drainage issue which could have been the cause of some of the problems. and you'll want to maybe dig a, a a hole in the middle of the hole like a like a drain pipe hole, right in the center of your hole and dig that down a ways. And eventually you can kind of feel it when you're digging. You'll hit a, you'll hit a caliche layer or a pocket of something that's really hard. You might have to put some water in there and keep digging. Eventually, you'll break through that, and then you'll fill that hole full of water, and boom, the water will go right down. Um, so if that's the case, you might try that. Uh, you might ask when you go to buy, if you're going to plant another lemon, what the root stock of that lemon is. You want to make sure it's probably not a another rough lemon root stock, um, but I, I wouldn't have any issues of planting another citrus tree, another lemon right back in the same place. Just make sure you you maybe do that drainage test on it first.
0: We appreciate the call. Good luck with your next lemon tree. That is always aggravating. you just like, it was so fine the other day, but, you know, a, it happens. It's life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Well, we appreciate uh, y'all joining us this Saturday morning. We do have a couple of text questions that we'll follow up with and uh, email with a grass question. We'll take care of those during the break. Uh, Mr. Harper, thanks for your Saturday morning. Always fun. And introducing us to Brian Johnson, the athletic fields manager of ASU. We Devils. A a lot of fun talking about uh, the ASU stadium and then uh, grass turf conversation this hour.
2: It, it, it's been a it's been a really fun morning i like i said I, i've been a fan of your guys for a long time and listen all the time so this is a treat for me
0: you got to have something to do while you're out there painting grass that's right that's right <laughs> yeah, the yeah. podcast now and your smartphones <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you're headed to go take a little nap uh the game starts at 7 10 and then y'all you, you anticipate working on the the turf until about four o'clock in the morning?
2: Yeah, yeah. uh, When people finally clear off the field, we'll we'll mow it. We'll mow it two directions. We'll kind of lower the height of cut a little bit and then, like I said, poke holes over the whole field and put our seed out. We might hand sprinkle some Bermuda seed in some of the divots um, and then we're going to put out a fungicide application and then a fertilizing application and then run some water. Now, did they
0: leave the lights on all night for y'all? They do. There's (laughs) crews
2: cleaning up the stadium. So, uh, yeah, while they're cleaning, we're working out on the grass. So uh, it works out.
0: Thank you, gentlemen. My pleasure.